We're going to be in John, the book of John, chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 1. And so if you guys would turn to John 7. I wanted to do 31 verses today, but probably just do 10. (laughs) I think. Amen if you're there. John chapter 7. Should I read it? I should read it. I'll read it. All right, let's start in verse 1. It says this, After these things Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Therefore his brother said to him, Leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. Verse 6, so Jesus said to, him, said to them, My time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. King James Version or New King James Version has the word yet. I do not come up to this feast yet because my time has not yet fully come. Verse 9 says, having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for this time that we get to be together and, and just study through your word. And, and ultimately, the goal is to know you more and to love you more. And so that's what I ask tonight, Lord. I pray by your Holy Spirit that our affections would be more stirred up for you as we leave this place during the week, Lord God. And I just pray that we just draw closer to you during this time. I pray you have your way with us in our lives, that we would come here to fully surrender everything to you, our lives, our wills, our desires. I pray that you would take it all, Lord, and that you would have your way with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, about two weeks ago, (coughs) Pastor Jerry, uh, anybody know Pastor Jerry? That's okay if you don't. Pastor Jerry, the founder of U-Turn for Christ, uh, threw an annual pig roast. Uh, We had a pig roast for um, the boys up here, part of the ministry called U-Turn. And so every year, every year, if we're allowed around during this time, we make the pilgrimage up to California. Everybody who can go. Next time, we should all go. And this one day out of the year is really a time filled with time of uh, worship, lots of it. Lots of worship, lots of word, people giving messages, lots of bands coming up, and lots of pork. Lots of pork, barbecue pork, you have pork coming out of your ears. But more importantly, it is a day where all the U-Turn for Christ around the world or across the globe, there's 33 of them, they would come together and they would come to one place and be together for a while. This event starts at 8 Servants are there from like 6 in the morning for the regular people. It starts at 8, and it ends at 8, if you're lucky. And so, <laughs> it's not like your 90-minute Sunday service. And so this year, as we went up, uh, we got to see here Josh Freitas. Josh Freitas, uh, ordained as a pastor, so you can call him. So you can call <laughs> Ah, it's over. That's Pastor Josh. Y'all can call him Pastor Josh now, PJ. 
Um, he got ordained as a pastor. It's an amazing thing to see what God has done in his life and what he continues to do in people's lives here on the ranch. He was sitting just where you were. I was sitting there. And like teaching and preaching, I get it, is one thing. But in this ministry, pastoring, really that word means, in the, it biblically means shepherding. Right? And shepherds are always usually with the sheep. And I just wanted to say this. And because it's God who appoints leaders and raises them up, like how God appointed Josh and raised him up, God also brings those people for the shepherd to love on and care for. And that's these men. And to do this, this means they have to be there. Josh is there. They have to be present with them all the time. Like talk about giving up your life to serve Jesus and to serve others. And that's what I've seen in his life. So this is a kind of recognition for him. So just so you guys all know, that's Pastor Josh. You can call him up for communion anytime now. <laughs> You're always up. <laughs> Enough about Josh. The reason I bring up the pig roast is because uh, truthfully, it kind of reminds me, it does remind me of what the Jews were commanded to celebrate uh, year-round. I think LPK gave a message on this one uh, long time ago, but um, he gave an illustration like this a while ago, um, and that's what we do. We go up there year-round. This is what the Jews were commanded to do. Um, there were three major feasts that all Jewish males were required to be at. All right, so first of all, I'm not going to fill your guys' head with information, but the first feast that we did, uh, that they do celebrate is called the Passover. And so the Passover, this is when the angel of death would pass over the homes who had the blood of the lamb on their doorposts and that beam going across, it's called a lintel. It, it was the 10th and final plague within the land of Egypt when Israel was enslaved, all right? So just so you know that, but this story all pointed okay, to the ultimate sacrifice, which was Jesus Christ. This is why in the gospel we went through, this is why John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5 for us, that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. You see, Egypt was a symbol of the world, and we too, before coming to Jesus, we were hopelessly enslaved to sin and death. Check this out. Now, 50 days after the Passover, this feast, would come the Feast of Weeks. This would be the second feast that Jewish people were to celebrate. It was commanded by God. This is where we get the word Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. The Jewish, uh, the Jewish people believe it was on this feast, the Feast of Weeks, where God, sent, or where God met Moses on top of Mount Sinai and gave him the law. So God descended as a thick cloud and fire and there was thunder and like the people were like, you go talk to God, right? That's where he met Moses and gave Moses and Israel the law. It says in Exodus 19 that the Lord descended upon the mountain. It is no coincidence that Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, 50 days later on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would descend from heaven and fall upon the 120 people in the upper room. It says in Acts chapter 2, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, preached the gospel, and 3,000 people got saved. See, during this feast, the people of Israel were commanded to bring the first fruits of their wheat harvest to the temple. It was said that God said bring, they were commanded to bring two loaves of leavened bread. Most scholars believe this represents the salvation plan for both Jew and Gentile. And since the book of Acts, we as believers are considered the first fruits of God's spiritual harvest. 
This harvest continues throughout history as people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ every single day. That's you and me. We are the first fruits of God's harvest. And now the third feast they would celebrate was this, is, is in this chapter. The third feast that they would celebrate here was the Feast of Boots or the Feast of Tabernacles. Now all three major feasts were probably lit up this time of the year, like pumping, like it was party time. People would travel a, a very, like people would travel from afar just to make it to Jerusalem and they would celebrate. You see, what they would do is they would remember God's deliverance from when they were enslaved in Egypt. This time, when they went to the feast, it was a time of worship. It was a time where God's law was being recited. The reason why I brought this up, or the pig roast, is because every time I'm there, I am reminded of where I came from. It just happened to me two weeks ago. Like, I don't just get to see what God is doing in countless men and women's life here or there, but I get to remember what he did in my life. And so this Feast of Boots was a time of remembrance, they would remember God's provision, first thing, and then they would remember God's presence in the wilderness. You see, the children of Israel traveled around for 40 years. God is the one who sustained them, and during that time, he never, ever left them. Even with all of Israel's disobedience and unbelief and murmuring and backbiting, it was a picture of God's faithfulness towards his people. And so during this feast, they would all live in boots, which were, called, which were like temporary shelters. Because in their wilderness journey, Israel moved from camp to camp to camp to camp to camp. I think about 32, 36 of them. I don't know the number. 32? 36, 36 camps? Yeah. But they moved around. Their permanent residence wouldn't be in the land, would be in the land which God promised them, which was the land of Canaan. And so wherever they were, they were only passing through and on their journey, they would remember how God provided for them. That's what's happening here. During the feast part of the ceremony, the priest would grab a pitcher of water from the pool of Siloam and he would pour it all over the altar. This symbolized the water that flowed out of the rock in the wilderness when they had no water. And then at night, this is what they would do. They would continue the ceremony. The, cer the ceremony would go on. They would light these huge oil lamps that would give light to the entire court. It was said that these lights were so bright that it, that it lit or illuminated the entire courtyards of Jerusalem. And this was also symbolic. It was symbolic to how God led the children of Israel in the wilderness during their time. It was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It was visible. They could see both the cloud and the fire. And as the children would look at, they were reminding of God, they were reminded of God's presence within their camp. That's what they seen, pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. But more importantly, they were reminded that God is always with them. And this is the same for us today. Did you know that God has prepared, promised a place for you and me who believe in his son? John 14. This means that even though we live in this world, Hebrews 13 says we are looking forward to a home yet to come. And if, if we are on this journey here during this time, how important it is for us to completely trust in the one who's going to get us there, right? You see, what Jesus is about to do is show himself to be both God's provision, the water from the rock, and in John chapter 8, God's presence, the fire which gives light. He is claiming to be both of these things in John chapter 7 and 8. See, water represents the means of life, you need water to live. 
Water also represents life itself. You cannot live without water. And in this chapter, in chapter 8, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's saying there's no other lights besides me. He says in John chapter 8, to follow after me is to have the light of life. And if Jesus is the true light, the only light that brings life, then any other light that we follow will not give us the life that we actually need. You see, all throughout the gospel, Jesus presents himself both as the means and the meaning of life. This means for us as believers, he is both the water from the rock and the fire which leads us here. Amen? The reason why I wanted to explain this first, or the feasts, is because everything points to Jesus and the salvation he brings. Everything. If I'm not finding it, then I didn't do my job. This is why the word of God is a constant invitation to us to believe and repent, to believe and repent. I saw Pastor Steve gives the gospel message every Sunday. None of you receive Jesus Christ into your life. Today is the day of your salvation. Why? Because for the unbeliever, the, li- the search for life is over. Jesus said it. True life is found in him. True life is found in him and what he did for us on the cross. And for us as believers, our time here and I know this, it happens to me, our hearts can grow dull towards the things of God. Israel never did well with blessings. Never. And it says they would forget about the God who saved them. This always led to a type of falling away. And so I know for myself how easy it is to gradually stop spending time with the Lord. It happens day by day and it's slow. Real slow. To compromise a little here, compromise a little there. And what happens over time is the word of God and the things of God become less and less and less important to us. What happens over time is we start to forget. Well, I want to remind you, although you might forget about God, he has not forget about you. Jesus clearly shows us the heart of God as the father waits day after day for his son. We know the story. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe that's someone here tonight. The invitation is come back to the Lord. Amen? Now, there's a lot of kind of moving parts to this chapter, um, but we're just going to do 10 verses. There's a lot of moving parts to this chapter, but we're going to get through it one by one. I just wanted to see that the setting takes place at the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Boots. The feast wasn't something all Jewish males begrudgingly went to during this time of the year. When the time of the feast came around, it was a joyous time of year. It was a time of celebration. It was a time of remembrance for everybody that would would, um, attend this feast. But for Jesus, this would be his last year of ministry, final year. He knew his time was coming as he would set his face towards Jerusalem and ultimately towards the cross. And with this short amount of time left, he wouldn't waste a second of it. Not that he ever did. Now let's begin again in verse 1 through 5. It says this, After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of Boots, was near. Therefore his brother said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself knows, seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers were believing in him. As we've been going through the gospel, 
Jesus faced a lot of persecution, a lot of rejection, a lot of unbelief during his ministry. The religious leaders have completely rejected him during this time as the Messiah, and they were low-key trying to kill him. So Jesus knew that it would be best to stay out of Jerusalem, which was really headquarters, and continue his ministry on the outskirts. It's not because Jesus was afraid of the religious leaders. It's because his time to die had not yet come. And so to make things even harder here, what we see in the life of Jesus is that he had brothers. Gosh, he had siblings. I didn't know that. Now I know that. That means he has siblings who grew up with him. Like they lived with him. They spent the most time with him. And yet even the ones closest to him, according to verse 5, did not even believe in him. That's what it says. Jesus was perfect. I couldn't even imagine living with Jesus. Mom always like, why aren't you more like him? Why don't you do things like Jesus? Right? Like he set the standard. Jesus was perfect. He was blameless. He was sinless. There was nothing ever wrong with Jesus. And yet, even his own family members would not believe in him. Gosh, I remember the first time that I gave my life to the Lord. I still do. I thought everyone would see me as born again. Everyone would see me as a new creation, washed clean. They absolutely did not see a drop of that anywhere in me. In fact, some of my family members still are pretty sus about me. It's taken a long time. I've broken their trust so many times, it doesn't matter who I followed after or what I did already. They knew at some point I would just go back to whatever I was doing and go do whatever I used to do. You see, it wasn't until years later they realized, my family, that there must be something about this Jesus thing. And that was years later. Years later. You know, it wasn't until after the resurrection that these same brothers finally believed in Jesus. It says in Acts 1-4 that his mother Mary and his brothers uh, were part of the 120 that I talked about in Pentecost who were waiting for Jesus, who were waiting for, the, waiting for the Holy Spirit in the upper room. They're part of it. It says in 1 Corinthians that Jesus appeared to his brother James. And from there, James eventually became a leader of the church in Jerusalem who also wrote the book of James. But they didn't believe in him until after his resurrection. It was after Jesus left the tomb. You know, living the Christian life, and I totally wholeheartedly believe this, living the Christian life in our homes and witnessing to our family members, those things go both hand in hand. It took a long time for any of my words to have any weight. Why? Because they would watch my life. You know, as much as I want my dad and my brother to be saved one day, that's up to the Lord. But it is up to me to have a balanced scale or equal weights in not just what I say, but in what I do. These two things have to go together. What I say and what I do. I think reaching our family members is probably one of the hardest things ever. That is one of the craziest ministries. But be encouraged, it took some time even for Jesus. And I'm sure it wasn't easy. I'm sure it wasn't easy because Jesus faced constant rejection. He faced constant unbelief and they were low-key in these verses mocking Jesus. You see, this is what they were saying. If you are who you say you are, if you truly are the Messiah, go and prove it. Go and prove it. Stop doing these things in the backwoods of Galilee. Go to the capital. Right? Like, get out of Kilauea, go to Lehui. You see, what they're doing is challenging Jesus here to do something that's not part of God's will. 
I want to just say this. This is why as Christians, we need to be careful about who we're listening to. If it does not line up with the word of God, I'll take it with a grain of salt. And the second thing is this. It says that they didn't believe in him. You see, because of their unbelief, they were mocking him for doing exactly what he should be doing. Oftentimes, it is our unbelieving family members that show us the most opposition. Seen that in California. And if that's happening in your home right now, I want you to know that Jesus faced that first. And yet even with all of the hardship he went through and the rejection for all those who mocked him, rejected him, completely his brothers disregarded him. It was these people he came to die for. So my encouragement to you is let us continue to hope that someday the ones nearest to us just might come around. His brothers eventually did, amen? Amen. Verse 6 through 9 says this. So Jesus said to them, My time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast for yourselves. I do not go up to this feast yet because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. You see, what Jesus is saying here in this passage to his brothers is that he is in a divine time schedule. He's saying that God's will and God's timing both go together. What he's saying is for you guys who don't believe, he's saying your time is any time. This is what it means. My time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. He's saying you go whenever you want. He's saying you go whenever you want, but not for me. He's saying in this passage that my, my time is my father's time. When my father says go, I'll go. When he says to stay, I'll stay. I like this because Gruzik brought up this point that God's timing, that God's timing in our life is an expression of God's will. I completely agree because just like David, if you know David, he was anointed early on to be the king of Israel. This is God's will. But it was only after 15 years later that he actually became king. This is God's timing. And although it might seem like a long wait for David, David was tested and refined during those years. See, I don't know what God's will is for you here. Maybe some of us, for some of us, it's God's will to get married, to start a business, to be in a certain position, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. But the challenge for us today, tonight, might be to wait until he says it's time. Maybe the challenge for us tonight is to pump the brakes and wait when God says go. Jesus is saying for those who aren't submitted to God's will, here in this passage, he's saying their time is always now. Now is good. Now is the right time. Today is the day. Let me get after that now. But the question for us tonight is will you wait on him? Will you wait? Or will you jump ahead of schedule and try to figure your things out on your own? Jesus' steps were ordered. They were calculated. They were precise. He wasted no moves. He wasted no seconds during his time here. And if that's the reality for us, we can trust his will and his timing for our lives. And it's always going to be perfect. Amen? I'm going to end here tonight. But I, want us to do, but I do want us to remember that during this feast, the people would live in booths. Remember I said this. It was, a, it was a type of shelter 
that was temporary because they didn't dwell in one place. As Israel traveled through the wilderness, on, as Israel traveled through the wilderness, they traveled through the wilderness precisely on God's timetable. You see, they knew when to move because the cloud or fire would start to move ahead of them. And they knew when to settle because the cloud or fire started to settle. I believe this is what trusting God looks like in our lives today. That we are willing to follow his lead in every season and we are willing to stay absolutely still when he says to stay. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your truth, God. Tonight, if we get anything out of tonight, God, I pray that we would just trust your timing in everything. Your steps were ordered, your steps were ordained, and it was calculated. It says, in the fullness of time, you sent forth your son, and you sent forth your son to die for us. And Father, as we put our faith in him and we continue to trust him for what he did 2,000 years ago, that he died for us and saved us for our sins, we can continue to trust, us, trust him, trust you with our future. And so tonight, Lord God, I pray that as we go home and as we go to sleep, that we continue to meditate on your word, that we continue to remember all the great things that you've done in our lives. And I pray that we continue to meditate on all the great things that you're going to continue to do. Father, I thank you for being faithful when we're not. I thank you for your commitment towards us and everyone here tonight, Lord, and I just pray that you give us a good night's sleep and that you protect everybody on their drive home. We love you and we thank you for your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.